This podcast is a collaboration between Costard and Touchstone Productions and the Dads from the Crypt podcast. Nasty cut you've got there, little Alex. Shame. Spoils all your beauty. I'll leave you that then. Eh? How'd you do that then? Ah! Ah! What's that for you, bastard? That is for your lady victim. You ghastly, wretched scoundrel. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the How Not to Make a Movie podcast. I am Alan Katz. And I'm Gil Adler. This is a, uh, well, all of our episodes are special in one way or another all our babies are special they're they're special but this one is uh special special uh we're talking to a legendary actor malcolm mcdowell now uh, as we started up to to have our conversation with with malcolm uh we bumped into some technical issues and gill was not able to participate uh in the conversation he kind of came in and out and and it was a very frustrating uh, experience for Gil, but we'll put that aside. And so we're going to talk about uh, you know Gil's his relationship with Malcolm because you've actually known Malcolm for uh, well, it preceded uh, when we hired him on Tales from the Crypt. Oh sure, yeah, I met him. Um, I was producing plays in New York, and my producing partner Jack Temption was their dramaturge for Lynn Meadows Manhattan Theater Club. Oh, wow. They were doing a play uh, by a Czechoslovakian author, his name fails me, um, and Malcolm was in it. And so Jack invited me to see the play, after the after which we went out with Malcolm and the writer for something to eat or drinks. And that was my first time that, you know, Malcolm and I ever met. And then we were friends for, for, from then on. I mean, we didn't see each other for years as what happens in this business but then all of a sudden you know we would we would see each other on the street in manhattan or at an event or at a party or something and it would, it would be like i hadn't seen him in 10 minutes hmm. so it was an interesting uh beginning of a relationship and it just got better and better along the way um, at the time that you that you met malcolm he was still at what point in his career was he? Because you know, he he had that unfortunate thing happen where he hit the ground running. And I think it was like the late seventies or the early eight, you know mid eighties because because we did crypt you know what it was like ninety with him right ninety one so I must I, I must have met yeah it must have been like nineteen eighty uh, we were both children just very young guys so he was still. He was still feeling the uh, the glow of. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. No, he was he was a very well known actor, and and I know Manhattan Theater Club was very very pleased to ha- have him in that play. When we hired him to do Tales from the Crypt, when uh, when that suggestion came up, and we cast him completely against type, of course. Yeah. As was that's what we did. Um, for me, that was incredibly exciting. I mean, I mean, Tales from the Crypt was such a special experience because we got to work with the uh, icons, uh, Kirk Douglas, Bob sure. Zemeckis, Joel, uh, Tom Hanks, Donner, Walter Hill. And Malcolm was right up there with them. My God. Hey, he was, 
Clockwork Orange. Cl Clockwork Orange, it was an iconic movie. Even then, it was understood that this was a great movie. It was touched by greatness. I and hadn't seen him, and I hadn't seen him for years. Mm -hmm. And so when we hired him, I I was a little trepidatious because I thought, gee, I wonder if he'll even remember me. I mean, yeah. I saw him at a play. We went out for dinner. We talked a couple of times thereafter. He's not going to bother. He's not going to remember me. And of course, you know, we hired him. He came in and he said, hey, Gil, how have you been? My God, I haven't seen you since we went out for dinner that night. So it was, uh, it was sort of renewed in Tales from the Crypt. And then subsequent to that, ABC uh, had a show called, they were revising Fantasy Island. And Malcolm was the lead guy in, in Fantasy Island. He was the, uh, the Mr. Rourke. Yeah, he was Mr. Rourke, right. This was a darker take on, on Fantasy Island to uh, when they hired him. He, he was not, the, 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 the point of the exercise was not to duplicate. Uh, no, it was to take advantage. Earth. It was to take advantage of what Malcolm brings to the table, you know, and, and, and you know, it was, it was a really, really good choice. Well, I was, I was represented in those days by CAA and in their infinite wisdom, they, they decided I should be a TV director. Um, while I was waiting to do motion pictures with Warner, for Warner Brothers or for Joel and for Dick. And so um, I got a call one day from my agent who said, we've got a call from this show and they want you to direct an episode. And it's in Hawaii. And because it's over the Labor Day weekend, you'll be there an extra week. And uh, so they want to book you. And I said, guys, I don't, I'm, I'm not a TV director. I don't want to be a TV director. And so I said, no. I got off the phone and told my wife who I'd spoken to. And she said, so, so you don't want to go to Hawaii for, was it eight weeks and, and all expenses paid and, and actually get paid for being there as well. You, you, you turned that down. And I was, I said, what you want to go, you want to go to Hawaii. So I called back and I said, well, I would do it, but I need to read the script. And so they checked it out and they called me back and they said, well, we can't, the script isn't written yet. They can't give you the script, but this is the best they can do. If you agree to do it, when you get on the plane in Los Angeles to fly to Hawaii, the script will be on your seat. So you'll have the opportunity to read it and study it with a five-hour flight to Hawaii, which I thought was total bullshit. There's no, no script. Of course, there was a script. So I said, yes, get on a plane. There's the script. So I read the script, get off the plane. They take me right away into how a production. Was, how, how was the script? I don't know. This was the fourth episode in the very first season. So they, they had only done three other episodes. So they were really. What was it? Looking. As you read it, was it a show? Well, if you had, if your name was on the script, would you have been happy or sad about that? Um, listen, for me, it was like, uh, I'm doing this because my wife wants to go to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. There you go. And, and and CAA, it didn't matter what the words were. I didn't want to piss off my agent. So here I am. So I go into this <laughs> meeting, I go into this meeting and, uh, you know, one thing leads to another and they, you know, they asked me about his questions and, okay, now we're going to get ready to do this. And the first thing that happened was uh, the people who are now running Chicago Med were running the show. Mm. And so they said to me, this is about a half hour before we're ready to go. They go, so, so what's the first shot? I said, oh, it's really simple. Um, Fivish Finkel was in it, as was Sylvia Sidney. I was the last person to ever direct Sylvia Sidney. You killed her. I killed her as as we did in in the the one with uh, Tim Curry. We had Von mm. DiCarlo. Carlo. I was the last person too. to direct the Von DiCarlo. Carlo. So 
we we go in and I go, well, I'm gonna, it's really simple. I'm going to I'm going to dolly left to right and and Fivish is going to come in. He spins the globe and then and then uh, Silvio comes in and and they go, wait, 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 wait how, how are you going to do that? And I was like, uh oh, <laughs> what 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 didn't I get? What? So I go, oh, let me do it again. So we're sliding, you know, dollying left to right. And and then he comes in and spins the globe. And that takes us to Sylvia. Sylvia walks in. She goes, what? Sylvia doesn't walk. I said, what, what, do you, what does that mean? She doesn't walk. She doesn't walk. She can only sit at the desk. So I'm at this, we're at the desk, and and I'm like, don't you think someone should have told me that before five minutes before we start shooting? So now I'm shooting. I meet Malcolm. And Malcolm gives me a big hello, and we have a great, you know, remembrance of when we knew each other in New York, and tell us in the crypt. And now it's like the third or fourth day, and as you probably recall better than anybody else, I know I'm very frightened when I direct. I always figure there's a better shot. If we figured out a shot there's a better shot. And so I'm constantly beating myself up. So now we're on the fourth day of shooting and we're setting up for a big shot and Malcolm comes over and um, oh, actually the PA comes over and says, Malcolm needs to have a word with you. And I'm like, oh God. And he's behind the sets. It's a private, just the two of you. And I'm figuring he's going to fire me. <laughs> what, what else could he be talking to me privately about? So I go behind the set and I go uh, very sheepishly, hi, hi, Malcolm, what's going on? And he goes, listen, I got to talk to you. We've had three other directors in this show and they're all shit. And I want to call up ABC and speak to them and tell them to call CAA and book you for every other episode. I mean, you talk to the actors, you listen to them, you change your shots when they oh, they don't feel comfortable doing this and that. And and just everyone is so delighted that you're here. I go, Malcolm, Malcolm, you don't understand. I'm I'm frightened to death. I don't really know what I'm doing. I, I really don't. And so I don't think this is a good idea. And he starts laughing. And he goes, Yeah, you're so funny. And I go, No, 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 I'm not being funny. I'm 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 being really honest with you. Let me finish this episode and let me go home. And he goes, Okay, sure. And with that, he picks out his cell phone. And he stands there and he says, just, just you stand there for a second, okay? And he calls up ABC. He gets the president of ABC on the phone and he tells him about me. And he says, so I'm going to rely on you to call CAA and book him for every other episode. And he goes, okay, great. Thank you. Thank you so much. And hangs up and looks at me and he goes, looks like you're going to be here every other episode. I go, Malcolm, you don't know, you don't know what you're doing. You, you, this is awful. This is terrible. You're going to kill me. You're going to want to fire me. So we continue on with the show. I go back to Los Angeles and I'm booked to do um, Charmed, one of the first episodes of the first season of Charmed. Joel gets a call from his buddies at CAA saying that I'm directing and that they want to hire me. And he gets pissed off. He calls me up. Anyway, it becomes a whole to do. And I'm, I'm directing Charmed. And I get a call from CAA saying they're really sorry, but Fantasy Island got canceled. And so that won't be a that won't be a problem any longer. Um, but you know, it was it was Malcolm who basically said to me, "You got to stay." And I said, "I can't stay. I've got to go back." He goes, "Okay, well, you come back in two weeks." So with that, I I you know I continued my friendship with Malcolm, and we were able to renew it with the podcast. 
Yeah. And, and he's such an interesting guy and is such a talented actor and has so much experience that I think our audience will really enjoy oh boy. his perspective and, and also what he has to say. Oh, this this one, I think I, I said this was a special episode. Yeah. Yeah, this, this is a special episode. You grew up near Liverpool. Yes, yes. Are, I mean, yes. basically, uh, yes. Yes. Are, are, my, my question is, is completely off topic of the movies. Are, are you yeah. still one of the, the Enfield faithful? I am indeed. Um, we're going through a quite a rough time this year but um, once you've uh, been a boyhood fan uh, it never leaves you and I've passed it on to my kids and um, so we all sit around at seven in the morning you know when it beams in from Anfield or wherever it is they're playing 430 and, 430 if you know on, on some mornings they're playing in the afternoon yeah well we record it when it's 430 I'm not oh, getting up that early unless I wake up and if I wake up I'll put it on but um I, I've, I've been married into a Spurs family for for 30 years so I'm I'm a Spurs supporter yeah well Spurs you know I've always liked Spurs but you, although I must say I do think that you know Kane is a wonderful player but he's such a diver Get on your feet, lad. You feel like slapping him over the head with a wet fish. I, I, I felt so badly for Liverpool this season because you're having kind of a Spurs-like season. <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> I guess you're right there. What Klopp has done, I think, is I think he's a genius. I think if he ran for prime minister, he'd get it in a hoppy. I love the guy. I think he's an amazing human being. A beautiful man and the exact right fit for Liverpool. And he's going through a bad time, but they all cheer him anyway. And that's just the nature of it. We all know it's peaks and valleys. But what he's done with that team in the time he's been there has been a glorious ride. Ooh, surely good. Last year, yeah. they were amazing. Simply but three, we've watch. been in three, three championship league finals, you know. In five years, it's it's incredible. Truly, a very high standard to maintain. Look, doing it once yeah. is hard. Doing it a bunch of years in a row—that's yeah. the challenge. It, and it's it's like yeah. it's like our business as well. It's it, getting onto yeah. the mountain is really really hard. The trick is staying on the mountain. That's right. That's what we'll it's do. not the first movie, the second and yeah. the third and the yeah. fourth. The first one we can all do, you know. Indeed, that's true. It's true enough. It's the same thing in any business, I guess, you know. Uh, let's let's take you back to your roots for a second. You went to boarding school from the time you were 11. I did. Yes. I went to a, a public school, yeah. which is, a, a, of course, a boarding school would be, in, a private school would be in, in, in America. But, of yeah, course, yeah. it's not quite the same. The public school in England... Um, represents where the Aristos would send their sons to be educated hmm. to go out and administer an empire. Yeah. That's why they're there yeah. originally. Yeah. And uh, there's many great, you know, um, really wonderful public schools that have great traditions, Eden, Harrow and all that. Oh, when, may, many more than just those two, but I went to a rather minor one, but it's still the basic principles, you know, of all around education and all getting on with uh, your fellow man. Of course, what they don't teach is how to get on with women. And uh, you'll find, I think that's why, um, you know, Englishmen have 
rather bad in situations of, um, you know, connecting with the fair sex. Mm -hmm. uh, that is said, whether it's true or not, I'm not quite sure. Uh... It, it also, that environment imparts a, a rather rugged social environment. Well, it's hierarchical, you know, it's very much like Britain used to be, or and I'm sure still is. I, I haven't lived there for a long time, so I don't really know it anymore. Uh, you know, I'm an American now, and I feel very much a Californian Indeed, we, we we don't do that kind of shit in California. No, um, and and you know, I I, I I I saw a note that said that you were beaten regularly in public yeah. for, for wayward behavior. As the headmaster said when asked when I got famous, he said he was naughty but not malicious, <laughs> <laughs> and he was a remarkable man. I have to say yeah. this: his name was L. F. Baker. Huh. And he was a remarkable man in many ways. And he did light the fire of theater in me. And for that, I am eternally grateful. Indeed. And he cast me in all the great parts in Shakespeare, which I played at school. All the, I mean, the best parts I could possibly play. So by the time I was 18 or 19, when I left, I'd really... I felt like um, almost like a, a real actor, you know, because I don't care where the venue is, you still have to do it. Of course, it's not professional and it's it's all rather rough and everything, but the basics are the same. Your acting was, as, it might not have been as refined, but, but you were being as honest a, as your instrument allowed you to at that time. That's right, that's right, and um, so that when I, I had this girlfriend in Liverpool uh, who was every Friday night would disappear uh, and she went to these elocution lessons with this lovely old lady called Mrs. Harold Ackley. That was what was on a brass plate outside mm -hmm. the Crane Theatre in Crane Street, Liverpool. And she was the most remarkable old lady. She was 82. I paid her every time I went to see her, was an hour, 10 shillings, which was a lot of money out of my pay packet. Really, it was a lot, though, because when you're only earning yeah. 10 pounds a week, yeah. you know, to yeah. give her 10, 10 shillings, you know, that's, I mean, there's a lot. It was a lot. Yeah. It was, um, anyway, um, but I liked her enormously. I didn't learn anything from her at all. I just adored listening to her talk about her uh, silent movie days and when she was treading the boards and doing plays. Usually she did the plays on provincial tours. So she was not a you know, top kind of actress, but she was a good working actress. And I'm very refined. I knew that she didn't understand that, you know, acting and the business had come a long way. We were now watching Albert Finney, for God's sake. She told me once that, um, don't forget, when you're sitting in a sofa with a cup of tea on stage to hold your pinky out. And I went, yes, I'll make sure to remember that. Weirdly enough, I think maybe 20 or 30 years later, I was having dinner with these friends and they had Rita Tushingham there who I'd never met, you know, mm -hmm. I'd 
And I kind of knew, of course, who she was. You know, she was a wonderful actress. And we were talking and I went, yes, you know. And I mentioned, I said, Mrs. Harold Ackley. She went, oh, my God, I went to her. That's who taught me. Oh, yes. And I went, oh, my God, I, I can't even believe there are two people here. And then I, there was somebody else, Norma Heyman, who the producer, David Heyman's mom, John's ex-wife, she's Norma, a lovely lady. She produced this movie called Gangster Number One that I did. She also was a pupil of Mrs. Harold Ackley. Just short of an acting academy. Well, what she did was she said, oh, Malcolm, you're wasting your time in Liverpool. You better go to Lambda and you better take their exams. You know, they have these audition exams that you can take from the associateship. And I said, well, what does it mean? And she said, oh, you do two accents and two pieces, you know, stand up monologues. And I went, sure, fine. Which, which two accents did you do? Do, do you recall? Irish and, and uh, North, Hindle Lakes, uh, Yorkshire, which, of course, was second nature to me, but and, and Irish. And I did two pieces. I can't remember what they were. Anyway, uh, I did them. I went down to London to do them. And I was offered a job in the professional theater from that audition or whatever it was. And by this man called um, something Hamilton. Um, anyway, Hamilton ran a lot of, um, I think, four to six repertory theaters in the provinces in so on at seaside resorts and he offered me a job um to go to shanklin in the isle of Wight, and that's where i started my career and funnily enough a couple of years before me david hemmings had also <laughs> trodden that <laughs> route wow and so i remember talking to david about it we went shanklin oh my god and and there you are. It was amazing. It it's part of the the English entertainment structure. It was certainly that you had that incredible, like a network of theaters throughout the country. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it though, was like in, in yeah. baseball they they have a minor leagues, and uh, yeah, it created. Oh, there were repertory theaters pretty much yeah. in every every huh? big town. Even tiny little place like Shanklin in the Isle of Wight had a theater on on the pier, yeah, and had these, you know, and and so all the holiday makers would go to the theater. And then on Sunday, when it was dark, they'd have specialty acts. I remember they had Lulu, Helen Shapiro. I mean, wow. I couldn't believe, yeah, quite big, wow. big acts. Sandy Shaw, big, big stuff. I don't know Sandy Shore, but Lulu. Oh, was, she I, was great. She was a songstress. She was known because she always did sang without her shoes on. Oh, Sam, Sandy Shore. Oh, of course, yes. Yeah, she was Shore. barefoot. <laughs> but I saw Sandy her. Shore was barefoot. It's funny. I I saw her being interviewed. I think in a Beatles thing, and and it was quite interesting because she said when. She heard, please, please me. She knew the game had changed. 
And I thought that was really interesting coming from another singer because she'd made it before the Beatles. You know, she she was like a one or two hit wonder, but she was very good. And a bit like, you know, uh, Scylla Black, but not as much perky personality as her. Anyway, these are all people from my sort of youth. Indeed. Lulu was. was another one. Sure, sure. Well, Lulu, uh, to Sir With Love. Gosh, that. Ah, and dear Judy Jason. Poor Judy's not well said. When I watch some of my old movies, it's shocking because often I'm the only one left. Uh, and um, then I think of who made it, who wrote it, who photographed it. Well, I've been around a long time. So you, you, even when when you started doing features, you, you, man, the 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 best talent saw you. Uh, you, you your screen debut was supposed to be in, in a thing called Poor Cow, a, a Ken Loach movie. Uh, but, yes. But, but you got was, cut out of that, uh, alas. It was a real weird thing because I did this audition for him with Miriam Brickman, who was the number one casting director in England at the time. She mm -hmm. cast everything. And Miriam was a big supporter of mine. I didn't really know this, but I went and did a kind of audition, which was a, a kind of, um, you know, just off the cuff kind of thing. And uh, she loved it. From what I understood was that I was going to be playing the lead in Poor Cow, this Ken Loach film. I met with him, fine, you know. And then the producer, um, a guy called Joe Yanni, who did a lot of terrific movies, Darling and things like that, a lot of John Schlesinger movies, he decided they needed a star. So, so I was bumped. Uh, and uh, Terrence Stamp was... Uh -huh brought in and they said oh but don't worry Malcolm I mean you you'll still have a part and I went oh fine you know I mean it was one didn't even care you know it was really weird I suppose that because I was used to the uh, sort of theater and that sort of you know the feelings and, and about the work like a, a, a theater actor so I wasn't really thinking about the size of the part or anything like that. Anyway, <clears throat> didn't still, matter. Still, it's like you ended up being the the poor cow. I yeah, I was cut from the movie because we only did one sequence. It was supposed to do a rain sequence outside, and if you can believe it, it didn't rain in London for two weeks, and so it was cut. But uh, it wasn't a pleasurable experience anyway, but it didn't matter. And I was saved for the great one. Knowing that we were going to uh, to have this conversation, I I had not seen If, oh God, since I was uh, quite young, it had been sure. a long time, but it still made an incredible impression on me. So uh, really to go it's back- It's a masterpiece. It is fantastic. a masterpiece. It's a fantastic <clears throat> movie. Having just rewatched it, it's it's terrific. It hasn't dated at all. Oh, no, it it's really amazing. Hasn't. The ending's a little tricky because of, of how things are these days. But as the three of you yeah. sit on the roof doing what you're doing, it's not for the reason that people are doing it these days. It's for no. it's for the very no. class-based reason that you're doing it. Exactly. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a war movie in essence. It's very much influenced by Bunuel. But, you know, interestingly enough, so I said, so, well, what films of, you know, of Bunuel's Lindsay? He goes... Well, to be honest, I've never actually seen one, but I have heard, which is typical of Lindsay Anderson. Lindsay Anderson was a giant mm. in theatre and cinema. Mm. He's one, he's, 
he is Britain's, I, I, I don't even know how to place him. There's not anyone in America that's uh, equivalent. No. You could say John Ford. But John Ford made all these movies. Lindsay only made five or some six or whatever it was. Very small amount. But he was always working in the theater. Always in production. He did so many plays. It was He was the most working director, I think, in London. But they he, were. He had a lot of faith in in his actors. Yes, I mean he. Well, he always told me that um, he considered casting to be ninety percent of it. Indeed, indeed. Well, yeah. That, because that's because I remember true. mocking yeah. him and laughing because he was trying to cast this part in a play, and you know I went off, did a movie, came back, and I said, "Who's playing that part?" He said, oh, "I haven't cast it yet." I went, "Good God." I mean, he goes, I can't make a mistake. You know, I'd rather wait until yeah. it happens. Yeah. And that's interesting that he would say that. And of course, in cinema, it's even more important to get it right. Oh, everything's in close up. And so a a, a casting yeah. a, a casting mistake, you'll see an extreme close up. Well, you know, a director like Lindsay, of course, would use actors for different reasons sure. and he would sure. he would um, be able to extract what he needed but <clears throat> because when i went to see him he had the part of mick travis 90 percent cast now i didn't know this i just wandered in basically but he had sort of cast it and so when i went in to see him he started to have doubts and then um, he called me in two weeks after I first met him to do a final audition. And uh, when I went in to see him, it was held, you know, in a theater, the Shaftesbury Theater. Um, they used it for auditions in the day when it was dark. There was a play on at the time starring Jimmy Edwards, who was this English comic. Not that funny, but um, he was a sort of big, gruff guy, a schoolmaster type. Lindsay said, have you got the script? And I went, no, I, I haven't. I haven't read it. He went, oh, for God's sake. And then started screaming at uh, Miriam Brickman <laughs> and quit. somebody quickly produced a script. Well, of course, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't read it. I certainly wasn't going to be able to read it in the few minutes I had. And then, of course, I noticed this beautiful girl and I got distracted by her. As one does. As one does. And uh, I was like, wow, what is she doing here? I thought this was about a boys' school. Things are looking up. Hey, man, the lunchroom scene. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, the lunchroom scene is, is, a, is a great scene. It's a great scene. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, there is a moment in the scene where the stage director is the Mick reaches across the coffee bar counter and pulls the girl and kisses her passionately. Yeah. Which I read and, and thought, well, uh, this is really my day. And grabbed hold of her and pulled her. And the next thing I know, I am on the floor of the stage because the next thing which I hadn't read was girl slaps Mick viciously, you know, and I ended up on my ass. Yeah. Uh, with tears rolling down my cheeks. And I was like, so shocked at what had happened. 
and I stood up and the electricity from this moment was, I mean, very high voltage. And I started to kind of stalk her on the stage. And she had these, she had all the lines, thank God, because I'd lost the script. She was saying things like, look into my eyes. I have the eyes of a tiger or some, yeah, some yeah. It's, 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 it's all crazy stuff. Yeah, there's growling and growling. Yes, well, that's what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, uh, it, it's very, it's very feral. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a terrific scene and it, it, it kind of, you kind of feel it beginning to happen. Think, is, is, is that going to happen? Really? Is that going to happen? And, and it gets so, yeah. it becomes really animal. It, it's, uh, yeah. But, but the movie is filled with, with really terrific, little surreal diversions. Yeah. First they're rolling on the ground. Then suddenly they're rolling on the ground naked. And then it's all back to normal. The first one, the change in the movie comes when the boys are doing a mock fencing scene. Yeah. And they go from the gymnasium into the squash court, which is this great shot because a squash court has a small door into this large black. And the, they were swinging their swords and I'm in the corner and get cut and lift my arm and go blood. Blood, blood yeah, yeah. Real blood. And Lindsay said, that's the change of the film. I want, want you to do something. I don't want you to do that realistically. I want you to find something. I went, okay, I get it. And um, blood, I... Uh, blood will be the point, but at the end of the day, blood will be the point. But it's um, it took it out of realism into something else. Oh yeah! Oh yes, yes, yes. And I, it had to be, yes. as he would say, poetic. It had to be not, you know, blood. Oh my God, blood! It's blood, real blood. And there's, there's, off they go on another. You know, there's, <clears throat> there's another moment when uh, one of the, the the teachers you 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 shoot him twice. And then you stand over him with the oh, rifle. Yeah. A banner. A banner. You're about to plunge it right into him. And the next scene, you apologize to him. He's inside a drawer yeah. and he sits yeah. up. You do the apology. It's played absolutely straight. Yeah. As if this is this is exactly what happened next. It's well that that was the one scene where I said, Lindsay, I'd like to talk to you. I said, I think you're ruining this movie by doing huh. this. Huh. And he went, now, how is that? And I said, well, look, <laughs> because I know we've done this, we've done that, and I know it's not real, but I think to have him in a drawer is such a sort of, <laughs> I mean, it's sort of a cliche thing. And he goes, look here, Malcolm. When the pumpkin turns into a carriage at 12 o'clock, do you believe it? And I went, yes, you do believe it. And he goes, there's your answer. 
Uh, they'll believe it. This member of the audience bought it then, and he and he bought it again now. So, yeah, uh, he was yeah, so right. right because that takes it out of being the norm. You know, it takes it into another dimension, which is Lindsay's great gift. When I saw the film, I was in high school, and I was yeah. part of, I, I was part of a, a select group of of brighter you know, bright <laughs> students who they showed this movie to. This was in oh the, yeah a couple of years after it was made. This was the uh, the mid seventies. And right. they wanted us to, you know, to because it was about kids responding, critique to, it or something. Yeah, yeah. They they wanted our our response to it. One of the oh right. One of the questions that they asked us was, "What was our interpretation of the fact that part of the film is in color, part of the film is in black and white?" Mm -hmm. And they wanted to know what was the filmmaker after. Right. And, and what did you say? Oh, I, I don't remember my my youthful response. Uh, I, I I know that I think they told us after the fact that it, it was a money related thing, which which isn't entirely true. It, it was it was money and time, not just money. It, it but well, what happened was the shooting in the chapel. It was a, a 14th century building. Yeah, and they could not hang lights. Yeah, from the beams in uh, this chapel. Right. So and they couldn't. We didn't have enough. Hugh, you know how the lights were in those days. You had to, there were huge brutes. and too, they Too light for color, too light for color photography. Exactly, exactly. Right. Well, now you can light it on a candle. Oh. But so then, you know, so Lindsay just said, all right, we'll, well, we'll have to do it in black and white. Right. Because it's a very important sequence. You know, right. of course, chapel right. is what the whole public school is based around, you know, the church. And so... I was sitting next to him when we were watching the dailies, and he said, I, I, I heard him say, I do love black and white. He goes, Valerie, this is the script supervisor, Valerie, what are we shooting tomorrow? And she goes, oh, you've got that scene in the attic with the head, that's just the uh, housemaster. And he goes, good, we'll do it in black and white. There you go. There you it go. Was, yeah. It was purely yeah. arbitrary. And he said, that'll fuck up the critics. <laughs> sometimes it works with such visual poetry oh it's incredible oh yeah. as a black and white scene heads into a color scene or a color scene suddenly becomes starkly black and white it's uh, yeah it's remarkably effective if for no real reason yeah. but hey whatever god sky forks back again hello mike hello mick From the moment that you appear on screen, you know your your face is partially covered. Always an incredible. Your eyes what a, what an incredible entrance into movies. A and wonderful you know, um, entrance. I met. Um, she was going out with Albert Finney at the time, Anouk Ame, who was this very glamorous star. Mm -hmm. And I ran into her on the King's Road, and she stopped me. And you know, she'd been in Eight and a Half, Fellini, for God's sake. She was like. And then the you know that the, that love film. Um, oh, uh, a man and a woman. A man and a woman. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. She was wonderful in that. Yeah, the oh, sexiest gosh. woman alive. Oh, anyway, now, now, now I'm going to hear the theme all the rest of the day in my head. That yeah, it's stuck in she my head. She gave already. me a big hug, and she said, "Malcolm, your entrance into film." Any actor would give his right arm. It is the most incredible entrance. And I hadn't even thought about it. You know, I just like with this wonderful scarf and mm. all that. 
Now, of course, you're covering a mustache. Is is there yes. a reason? It's not just. It's not just. No, no. Of it's, course, there's it, a reason. It's very. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. when he pulls it down, you know, he's grown it in the holidays right. and has to take it off, which right. is a brilliant, brilliant moment of uh, what the actual movie's about. It's about, you know, really a class-ridden society of one of hierarchy Indeed. and one of dominance of one section over the other. Mm. And so he knows it has to come off. And, and, and there's also a strong element of having to hide who you are as an individual. Yes, that's right. I mean, right. really, that's squeezing right. every last bit of you out of it so that really, yeah. you all shut up, you all go to sleep right now. It, it's... It yeah. is regiment. I mean, literally, the the oh, it's, it's, the, the, yeah. the the head the head guy literally regimenting how long you stand in the shower. Turn now, turn now. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's as a as a statement about a regimented society, and it's not like you watch and you think, "Boy, that that's over the top." It feels utterly organic. It is. It is. I mean, it's a remarkable film. I mean, it, and. <laughs> It, it is the best film I ever made. And unfortunately, or fortunately, it was the first one, which is staggering as I'm here 60 years later. Yeah, um, it, it, it's tough to start really at that high up, high up. It, it really is. That 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 will, that yeah. will set you up. Not and Lindsay said, well, Malcolm, that's how you've started your career. You'll never make a better film than this. And I went, oh, yes, I will. Well, but uh, well, he was right. I mean, he, I played better parts, but never been in a better film. Indeed. And, and uh, uh, how can we really compare them anyway, really? How do you compare an if to a clockwork orange? You you can't, really. Yeah. I mean, you can't. That's why I hate these awards, because awards for actors is ridiculous. Or oh, for films, you know, it's, it's, it's insane. What do you compare? I, I really do hate them, but I know it's part of the Hollywood game and all that, so we have to drum up as much business, you know, and all that. But uh, I, I really um, well, you, we got to keep in mind what? Why did they start these? Why did they start the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences? It was yeah. it was a drum of business back in the late nineteen twenties. It, it was right. always about and business. That's what it's still about. <clears throat> Bottom line. Yeah. Uh, one yeah. more. One more thing I just wanted to toss out about uh, about if Lindsay Anderson called you a Brechtian actor. Oh, well, you have done your homework. Oh, yes, well, he I, did. I saw that. I thought, okay. Oh, I, I love that description of, of you as an actor. I know. And of course, I said, really? Oh, is that a good thing or a bad thing? <clears throat> I didn't know what the hell he meant, you know. Well, he said they, they know that you're acting, but the audience believes you anyway. That's right. That's right. I love that. That's fantastic. You you make you tell you let the audience know you're acting, but you make them believe you anyway. As as Gil and I have talked about on the podcast before, talking as producers about actors. Yeah. <clears throat> no, me personally, since Gil's not here, I've never hired an actor to act. I don't want right. actor. I want you to be. That's right. Every time actors start acting, we're going to have to cut that out. It's going to end up... Well, that's bad acting, if you can see it. Right. But what you really want an actor to, to do is to be as honest as they possibly can about their deepest emotions with another name and, and someone else's words in their mouth. Right. It's that emotional honesty 
is that's what makes scintillating acting. Right. But there's a lot more to it than that. Of course. Oh, because well, because if it was that, be. if it was just that, then every emotion would be the same. You Indeed. know, every time you're angry, it's the same. Hmm. Oh, we've seen that, you know. So there has to be, you know, and it has to be nuanced and um, craft worked out. Yeah, craft. And, exactly. And, and, yeah. and there it is. It is a craft because totally. You, Totally. You, you don't you have to feel the emotions. You're not yes. going to be the emotions. It exactly. Is acting. Oh, my God. And um, as, as, and as a said, every muscle in your body, you know, um, I remember the first dailies I saw on it, of first dailies I'd ever seen. You know, I had my tongue hanging out in the sword fight and I went, oh, my God, I'm mortified. <laughs> I said, why didn't you tell me? You're the director. You should have told me. And he said, now, Malcolm, calm down. I said, we'll, we'll have to shoot it again. <laughs> I mean, he said, well, we're not shooting it again. We can't afford to go back and shoot that. And he goes, there's plenty of bits without you with your tongue. But this is a good lesson. I went, oh, my God, it sure is. <laughs> yeah, thank God I had him as my first director. What an incredible human being he was. And it's Mick Travis that ultimately gets you Alex DeLarge. Yes, that film. Stanley saw that film, and I didn't know this at the time, but um, Christiana, his wife, <laughs> who was widowed then, said yes, she remembers it very well, that Stanley had heard about If, and I mean, it was a big sensation in London because of all the political overtones. <clears throat> And the public school, you know, it's such a, I mean, you know, the English, for God's sake. And where did you go to school? It's the first question they ask. And <laughs> so. Um, it, it's one of the, when I've been married to a Brit for 35 years, I, I've, I've, when, when you get involved with English as an American, it, it is yeah. kind of a staggering thing to, to learn that yeah. one English person can hear another English person speak and know when, where they were born, where they went to school, yeah. and knows yeah. their whole history. That's... Yeah. Yikes. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You um, know whether they've been educated or not. Indeed. Uh, Kubrick had actually put aside his adaptation of, of Burgess's novel because... Yes, he had. He, he, he couldn't... He put it aside. It. Well, this is what Christiana told me. So, you know, he had a projectionist out of the house and they brought the film up to him. And he was watching the first... My first sequence, coming in, pulling the scarf, shaving, talking to, you know, one of my cohorts. Yeah. He hit the intercom and said, relace that. He hit it four times. And then he turned to her and said, we found our Alex. Indeed. You know, Mick is a pure revolutionary. He's a, a romantic. Alex is not. He's okay. a pragmatist. He's a very immoral man, of course, but uh, who has a cheeky charm. But um, Mick Travis is much deeper... Much, I, I, he's a sort of romantic poet type. Hmm. He's a sort of pure revolutionary. You yes. know, um, there's something very romantic about him. 
But with Alex, there isn't at all. Do you see any relation or connection between Alex and... Well, of course, you know, you can't get over the physicality. I mean, that's something that's there. And also, I've never been an actor to want to put on, you know, putty on my nose. Surely. You know, I, I literally... And then that's why I would never put on 30 pounds or 50 pounds of weight in a part. Because if you can't make the audience believe through your skill that you're now a decrepit, you know, has-been or whatever it is you're trying to do, um, that's to me cheating. You know, I'm not a great believer in that. Of course, it's very effective. I'm not saying it isn't. That's just not the way... I want to do it, or I believe in the art form, you know, the craft, as you put it, which is, it is a craft. Mick is kind of the, uh, uh, Alex is very much the dark side of Mick. Whereas, because Alex is utterly hopeless. And Mick, there's a spark in him. The thing that I wonder about Alex is, at the end of the movie, he... He comes out of it really no, none the worse for wear, in a way. Well, he says it. I, I was, was cured. cured, all right. Yeah, I was well, So I asked Stanley why he cast me. I go, well, why did you cast me in yeah. this? Yeah. And he, he, he didn't really want to say. And he, um, he said, well, he thought about it, and he said... You you can portray intelligence on the screen. Mm. Mm. And I went, but Alex is not that intelligent. He said, there has to be an intelligence about him. And that's the element that I think I that for me was very important. I I to me Alex is is he's a survivor. He's 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 got wiles. He's Oh yeah. You know the the thing about Kubrick and casting. He he was being a an absolute uh monster when it comes to to control of everything. The way he cast like a control freak. I I are you sure about that? Yeah, but you know the, the way that I when I look at especially in, in I don't his, know. In his later movies I, I it felt like uh, he he cast a lot of actors, I think, brilliantly, and like I think Ryan O'Neill in in. Uh, um, uh, Do you think that was brilliant casting? Yeah, I, I, you know, and again, it's because Ryan is is so is surface. Yeah, he's, he's absolutely surface. And but imagine cast- it being played. You know, by another actor. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, Ryan, of course, is, you know, he Stanley used him yes. in the best possible yes. way. Yes, yes, and, yes. And yes, that's yes. what that's great directors do. That, great directors do word. that. I think that they that's, do that. that that's yeah. exactly what they do. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 I, that, that, and that, it changed the emphasis of the film, I think. Yes, no but, argument. No argument. Yeah. I, I, the, I think the same with Jack. You know, because um, Jack's performance, I mean, to me, I, I thought he started off way too crazy. 
I was like, wow, why would anyone hire this guy? He's nuts, right yeah. from the very first meeting. Um, I just thought there was uh, something missed there. But um, I, I would agree. And of course, Jack I, I, is a great, I, great actor, you know. I, I agree with you there. I, I, I think Jack Nicholson is 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 the one where it it he never maybe it seems like he, he lets Jack just go wherever Jack wants to go and, and that's not always it isn't necessarily well it's a little shaky. He does, sometimes. I mean he does. No uh, Stanley I mean why I really love working with him actually, because he got something from me, which I would never have given Lindsay. Yeah. Not in a million years. And I remember taking the script to Lindsay and saying, oh, God, I've only got a week, and now I'm really confused because Stanley refuses to talk about the character. I mean, he'll talk about anything else. The damn lenses, I could care less. But he, he won't talk about the character. But isn't that indicative of something? Yeah, of course, yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't help me. No, of course, so no, of course it doesn't. I give Lindsay the script, and he read it. You know, I went back to his flat, and the first thing he said as I walked through the door, he goes, "Thank God I don't have to direct this." And I went, "I, I know it's not your cup of tea, Lindsay, but look, I mean, what do you think? How am I going to play this part?" He goes, "And this is the genius of the man." He goes, "Malcolm, there's a close-up of you in if." When you open the gymnasium doors to be beaten, you look at the prefects, you smile. And that's how you play the part. And I went, oh, that is, that's it. That's all I needed. A lot of people that I sort of trust say that Stanley copied huge, huge chunks of if. I think he was completely, I know he saw the movie like six or seven times. Mm -hmm. I think he was really influenced highly by that film. I mean, not there's anything wrong with that. I mean, that's good, isn't it? Because I said to him, well, how many times did you see it? And he goes, I don't know. I went, five, six. I went, seven? <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he goes, I don't know, so, a lot. He said, I saw it a lot. It's a good movie. It's a very watchable movie. Uh, it, yeah. it, it deserves, it deserves, yeah. it, it stands up. It absolutely stands up. Once you, once you were working with, with, with Kubrick on a day-to-day -day basis, it was yeah. to be challenging. And uh, a lot of people know the, the story about working with your eyes. So we, we don't have to, to revisit that. Right. You right. know, it was the, the thing, it was a fait accompli, it seems, because when he first broached the subject, he had the eye guy standing behind him, ready to, uh, to, 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 to jump. No, he showed me a picture of some patient with yeah. this. And I went, yeah, wow. Interesting. <laughs> he goes, no, no. I mean, I went, what? You're not, you don't think I'm going to do that. He goes, yeah, I called this guy. And he's coming this afternoon from <laughs> from uh, Moorfields Eye Hospital yeah. to to tell you that this is very safe. Of course, that was not true, and you know those things scratch the corneas. But you know, I got over it. So scratched no you, lasting. Scratched you twice because you had to do reshoots. Yeah, I had to do it again at the end. Yeah, yeah. And I got scratched again. Indeed. Yeah. When you're sitting up, the things kept falling. 
And, you know, I didn't, because the eye was anesthetized, I didn't feel it, of course, until it wore off. And then uh, it was way worse the first time because we'd done it, you know, it lasted quite a long time. I think 10 to 20 minutes, you know, we had to get it in that time and that was it. That was physically painful. At least it wasn't humiliating. Uh, there's the scene where yeah. Aubrey, as uh, as Mr. Deltoid, is supposed to spit on you. You are now a murderer, little Alex. A murderer. Not true, sir. It was only a slight old chock. She was breathing, I swear it. <laughs> I've just come from the hospital. Your victim has died. You try to frighten me, admit so, sir. <laughs> this is some new form of torture. Say it, brother, sir. It'll be your own torture. I hope to God it'll torture you to madness. If you'd care to give him a bash in the chops, sir, don't mind us. We'll hold him down. He must be a great disappointment to you, sir. But Aubrey, Aubrey, Aubrey couldn't. He, he... Well, he did. He did like 10 takes. He goes, Stanley, I don't have any spit left. <laughs> he ran, because he ran out. Oh, I didn't realize he ran. So he actually got, got 10, 10 spits at you? Yeah. Oh, Aubrey. And then, of course... <laughs> What's his name? Who was playing uh, one of the cops? Goes Stephen Burkoff. Stephen Burkoff actually was the one who who began to, to, to deliver. Yes, volunteered quite gleefully. Uh, apparently, he, he said, "Don't worry, I've got some." Yeah, did he? Is that what he said? That is that is the odd set quote. He said, "Don't worry." That's his I've quote. Got. Apparently, right. Stanley asked, "Can you get it on his nose?" And Burkoff said, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Can you get yeah. it on his nose?" It was pretty vile, but I must say it does look incredible. It's a great scene. And, you know, I mean, Stanley was, um, he was pretty on, I must say, because when I read the book, I envisaged, for instance, the cat lady, you know, to be an old lady with all these puss pots and, you know, be this little old lady. But he went and, you know, hired Miriam Carlin and I went, why did you, good God, why did you cast Miriam Collin? Because she could eat you for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> and I went, she's a tough, she goes, you little shit. I mean, you really, and I went, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, 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 I really, uh, I saw it. I got it. It was, was great. It? I cast uh, Warren. I cast um, my dad, um Oh, what's his name? Lovely actor. Oh, Lovely. Uh, yeah, uh, the, the, he, he, the actor. Who, and he went on. To, yeah. he went on to be in Stanley's every Stanley. Yes, movie. yes, 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 yes. He 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 became a regular. Philip Stone. Philip yeah. Stone. A terrific. Yes, little great parts in every Kubrick movie. Lovely actor. actor. Yeah, yeah. He yeah, was yeah. in Oh Lucky Man with me too. Mm. He wasn't in If, but I saw him. Lindsay cast him in The Contractor. Um, a wonderful play, David Story play. And I said to Stanley, you've got to see this guy. He's brilliant. Yeah. He's really got this doleful, sad kind of look. And he yeah. looks like he's completely, you know, trodden under. It's so perfect. And, of course, um, I'm glad he used it. It was great. 
he he did have like a, a little repertory company of uh of, of players who who yeah. were from all all the time yeah yeah uh, you experienced that problem of working with giants early yes i worked with some great great actors yeah and and then in you incredible in in great movies early yeah and then yeah, some, go, some great some not so great but you know i worked with um, my favorite actor was john gilgood i adored him i always had such a hoot with him i loved him and i was going to do the, the importance of being earnest he wanted me to play oh. do it I'm talking seven, early 70s. Yeah. And I met him in New York. He was going to direct it in New York with Irene Worth playing Lady Bracknell. I mean, how great would that have been? Wow, wow, wow. And John knew it so well. He played all the parts, you know. And he just, they wouldn't accept him as the director. They thought he was, you know, old, you know, which I think was ridiculous. But anyway... <laughs> It, it was really sad, and I would have done it in a heartbeat because I, I adored him. I, um, I got to work with uh, Laurence Olivier, who, you know, was a giant, of course. Of course. Uh, but to my, to my generation, we were kind of against a, a grown-up sort of anti-kind of actorish like Olivier, you know, um, it, it was more Alan Bates's generation that that bowed down and genuflected to yeah, yeah. Sir Lawrence, yeah. and and we did this thing, um, a pin to play called. Um, it was actually for television, but it was called the uh, the collection, and it was with Olivier, myself, Alan Bates, and Helen Mirren, and it was an amazing piece and. Um, you know, I got a call from my agent who said, Sir wants to see you. And of course, when his <laughs> you knew who that was. <laughs> and I went, Really? Oh, I didn't think I was Sir's kind of actor. You also you auditioned for the role of Brian Roberts in Cabaret, which you turned No, I didn't audition. No. You didn't. You, you, you I was offered it. You were offered it. Okay. Offered the... Miriam Brickman again. Yeah. Came around to my house and said, Look. Liza Minnelli's doing cabaret. And I went, oh, my God, that'll be incredible. You were and, right. Um, and she said, look, um, they want you for the, you know, the male. And I went, oh, my God, um, what song would I have? <laughs> went, what song would I have? Well, they went, they, well they, you don't have a song. And I went, you mean it's a musical and I don't have a song? I don't even get to sing with Liza? Yeah. They went, no. And I went, forget it. I forget it. Michael York played it, and he was yes, so he good. A couple years later, you were Richard Lester's first choice for D'Artagnan, The Three Musketeers, and that went to Michael York. Well, how do you know all this? I mean, I hate talking about movies that I've passed on because it's not really fair to the other actors, and this no, it, one happens it, to be the same actor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, is, which is just funny when, yeah. when the, the, the same actor ends up... Uh, yeah. Hey, I mean, yeah. how much do you hate Michael York? I love him, actually. Indeed, he's a very you nice know. Man. I love him. I love him. Uh, we ended up in the same club he, in our later life, huh. and I said to him, "Isn't <laughs> it funny? When we first started out, we were competitors, you right. know, 
Right. We get to middle age, and it was like now we're sort of, oh, oh, well, he's rather good. Yeah, okay. Oh, is he in it? Oh, well, we're sort of friends. Yes. And then in old age, it's oh my God, how yeah. lovely to see you. I am so happy we're doing this together. And it's just the way it Korea's kind of work, you know, that's just the way it is. And um, he's a really lovely guy. He's been mm. very he's been very ill. So I hope he's on the mend. Hope so too. Uh, yeah. So finally, well, let, let's you, you've hit the heights. You 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 you've achieved greatness, and then suddenly, well, hey, you know, I'm sure when Caligula called, it 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 yes. wasn't it, it it wasn't the thing that it ultimately became. It 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 had something of a pedigree. The the screenplay was developed from an unproduced television miniseries by Roberto Rossellini. Well, that's news to me. Yeah, it, it was. It it, it had it oh. actually had a a, a uh, yeah. It it started out with oh. the best of intentions. Yeah, yes. Uh, uh, you you may be right. I've forgotten that. You yeah, know, uh, to be yeah. honest with you, I've forgotten a lot about it. I was going to do a sort of one man show about it and sort of come out in a toga, oh my smoking God. a cigarette or something uh, with jeans on, but killed. um, a. I have a lot of funny stories about it because honestly, the only way to get through it was by laughing at it. What did everyone think as as you all said yes? You all agreed to 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 sign. Well, up? you know, well, of course, we hadn't seen a script, so I kind of got as soon as I I was in it and got the script, I thought, "Wow, this is terrible." I was so shocked at how you know this such a great writer had produced such rubbish. And, uh, you know, I immediately tried to, I said, you know, and, and then they'd, they'd cast um, the director. You know, it was going to be Nick Rogue. Was it really? Yeah. Huh. Oh, Nick Rogue came up to me in San Lorenzo's restaurant and said, so I'm not to be your master. Uh. <laughs> I mean, he's such an arrogant fucker, you know, and I went, well, Nick, not on this one. Huh, huh. By the way, if we ever do work together, you will still not be my master. <laughs> but we'll happily work together. Of course, he was a wonderful director. And he would have, it would have been a very interesting. Oh, his Don't Look Now is one of the, oh, one of my favorite movies ever. Incredible ever, movie. Ever. Incredible movie. Yeah? Yeah. And really not a great book. I thought he made so much more of it than was in the book. If if if, it, if 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 Caligula had had that sensuality, you know the the lovemaking scene between Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland is a oh, yeah. is a wonderful scene because it yeah. feels so it feels so real it feels so emotionally oh that's why everybody thought it was real indeed yeah it, it's it it's, wasn't the amazing thing about it is that it's this wonderful sex scene between a married couple yeah 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 exactly that's, exactly that's the weirdest thing about it. But it's so amazing because of what happened to the child and all that. And, it, and you know, it's so brilliant the way the child wears that. Oh, red and the and red water. Mac and shiny red Macintosh. It, it's uh, like a, a Southwester or something. It's really, it's an amazing film. A thunderous yeah. ending. Oh, my God. Yeah, never, he's a great yeah, Oh, it will never, it can and never I get love, out of your head. By the way, I loved um, performance 
with James uh, Fox and Mick Jagger. Mm, Mick was ne was never better in a movie. The best thing he ever did on celluloid, in my opinion. I it, thought he was amazing. I, I agree. And it makes it heartbreaking to, to hear that Nick Rogue was thought of to, to direct that movie. It, it would have been... A, and the, and the, reason, he, the reason he wasn't offered it in the end was, of course, was because he was too independent and too good and would not be manipulated by Guccione. Yeah. And that's why, and it's sad... But not that he could manipulate Tinto Brass. He didn't. It was a cause an almighty explosion. Mm. And, you know, the film was a total fuck up, you know, basically, we, you know. But I, I kept saying to Gore, well, it's all right, Gore, for you. You know, you took your name off it. I'm now stuck having to do it. He didn't give you back know? the money, did he? Uh, I don't know. No, he did not. He did not give back the money. Of course he, got he paid, did. He got paid two twenty-five. He got paid. A, he got paid a, a nice chunk of change for for those days. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and he, hey, hey, man. Uh, how how ashamed are you really? Uh, the casting was became an issue. Uh, Maria Schneider, and she just passed away recently, unfortunately. A terrific actor. Yeah. She was supposed to play Drusilla. She quit while filming her first sex scene, uh, right in the middle of working with you. Uh, no, she never got. She, she never got that far? No. Hmm. She got as far as a costume fitting huh. and coming up to do a little rehearsal. Oh, the stories people tell. Good God. It, 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 was, so, it, it was nothing like that. Go ahead, carry on, no. please. Good, good, good. She went down to the seamstress. And, you know, we had Danilo Donati one of the great designers of all time. He did all Fellini's movies. A genius. Such talented so he was, people in this He project. did the costumes and the sets. And, you know, the costumes were literally one stitch here, one stitch there. That was it, open. And you wore a diaper underneath it. Um, she had went down to the seamstress and had them sew up the sides of the dress uh, so that sure, sure. The, the scene was me fondling her breast because, you know, I'm her brother basically. And uh, to be fondling her breast to a modern audience is sort of outrageous. But of course, in Caligula's time, the, it was quite normal. Yeah. And um, they were the only people you could trust with your family. And that's basically who you stayed with. And, I tried to get into the dress and I went, wow, um, how did you manage to get this? And uh, uh, Tinto Brass went ballistic. Uh, <laughs> and he really lost it. When he found out what she'd done, he lost it. And she sort of went, fuck you. And he went, fuck you, get off my set. And I don't know whether she walked or she was fired. I think she basically walked because so, she knew she knew it wasn't gonna. Yeah, so she was. It, I know. And then uh, anyway, for, yeah. for a little while they thought about Catherine Ross to replace her. I got a call from Catherine, who said, "Malcolm, I've been offered it. What can you tell me?" And I went, "Oh, Catherine, God, I'm your America's sweetheart." I'm a, such a fan. I mean, I'd love to work with you, but darling, not on this. 
I, I, I honestly, from the bottom of my heart, I, I really think you should not do this. They're running around the set naked and everything. I, I don't. She went. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you. That was very, very good of you to spare to spare her the trip. Yeah, I, I wouldn't do that to her. And I, and I was a fan, a big fan of hers. And I knew that was a terrible fit. That was another manipulation of Guccione. You did get to work with Gilgood on on this picture. You froze. What? Uh, Gilgood, you got to work. Oh with, yeah, yeah. So you did get. You did finally get to work with John in 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 a, in a feature. Uh, there's a story about you and John talking about uh, personal finances that John was complaining about having to do movies like this. Yes, he. Um... He said, my accountant, you know, I, I've been told I've got to cut back. And I went, oh, dear, John, do you live this high lifestyle? He goes, good God, no. But but I can't afford it, the taxes, you know. I said, well, where could you cut back? I mean, you've got this beautiful house. He went, oh, yes, so I can't leave the house. And, and I said, and what about you've got this lovely Rolls Royce and a chauffeur and he goes i couldn't possibly do without my roles and i went well i think that's what they're talking about when they say cut back he said well they're not paying me very much per diem, um, and i hear you have a villa i went well i do and, and i tell you i'd love to share it with you you can have a whole wing of it he said oh so nice thank you so much and he came and stayed with me for two weeks and it was adorable huh. I had a wonderful time with him. I adored him. He regaled us all these stories. And, you know, everything was, he was telling me about him and Larry when they did um, Romeo and Juliet, you know, and they alternated the parts of Romeo and Laertes. And I'm not Laertes, um, Mercutio. Mercutio, yeah. Yeah. And he's, he'd always say, uh, Larry was far better than me. And he was much more athletic, you know. I, I just... I just had the voice. And I went, yeah, but what a voice. <laughs> he said, well, Larry's is a pretty good voice too, but he was so much more athletic, you know. And he'd always sort of... There, there, there's something funny about Gilgood saying, I just have the voice. Yeah, I just had the voice, a voice. Okay. Is, if that's how yeah. you see yourself, okay. Uh, yeah. At, yeah. At, the, at the time, the top tax rate in England was 83%. So it was pretty brutal to uh, to people making yeah. the kind of money that yeah. you guys were, were making. Uh, yeah. In the end, the principal cast members, everyone agreed to do a voiceover recording session only if Bob Guccione's inserts would be left out of the final cut. Uh, apparently, no one, you, you wouldn't do the... You wouldn't do the, the looping uh, until... Yes, he, I'm he was, sure that's true, but... Uh... But I, they, they didn't pay me a, a, a big chunk of money. I think something north of $200,000 they owed me. And in those days, that was a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They owed me and I refused. So I refused to do anything till first I had a certified check, which they came around with the messenger and I got. And I had my lawyer there and I gave it to him immediately. Oh, God. Of course, when it came out, it was all put back. Yeah, right. And I bumped into Gilgood on Third Avenue. He was shooting Arthur. I didn't even know, you know. And he said, oh, Malcolm, have you seen the film? And I went, no, John, I haven't. He said, oh, frightfully good. 
I've seen it three times and I paid twice. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. He saw it three times and paid twice. And then somebody must have got to him to say, look here. It's an absolutely scandalous film. You can't go around saying you like oh, it. My. So he then changed his tune and said, oh, frightful film. I don't know why I did it. Frightful. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Oh, yeah. Uh, legendary movie critic Roger Ebert, apparently he, he, he hated the film. Oh, and yeah. He walked out after two hours and his review started with him calling it <laughs> Sickening, utterly worthless, shameful trash, and it yeah, ended yeah. with and it ended with this movie. Said the lady in front of me at the drinking fountain is the worst piece of shit I have ever seen. That's yeah. how he ended his movie review of of Caligula. Now tell me this: Wouldn't you go if you'd read that review? You'd have gone. I've got to see this movie. I know it made more money than any movie I've ever yeah. done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. That's the insane thing. Uh, I know. I know. Uh, there, there's one more little funny, funny little tidbit I'll throw in, and it, it, it's the perfect little little capper to it. Uh, after the film was released, uh, Annika Lorenza, she uh, Marjorie Lee Thorson in a oh yeah, yeah Annika, was, yeah, yeah. She played um, Lena. Yeah, she sued Bob Guccione, saying that his handling of the film, mainly his adding of the hardcore sex inserts, had damaged her acting career by associating her with a hardcore porno film. She won her case. Uh, she was awarded four dollars and six cents in damages. I thought she got three million. No, four dollars and six cents. Well, you know, she was a pet, yeah. and in fact, came to my room and offered me the services. Certainly not of an actress. You know, she was a very peculiar girl, and bless her. And I, I think she died, and I think she had yeah. not a happy life. The whole thing was horrible, and and it was because Guccione was really a very evil person. We we got to work with you on Tales from the Crypt. Um, it was the first yeah. time that we got to work together, and uh, uh, you are in one of the most beloved episodes of the whole series. Apparently, and we, I'm so happy about that. And we cast you against type. Yeah, it was a lovely little thing. It was very quick. I mean. It, yeah. all over in a couple of days uh, a very nice director I, i'm sure he's passed now but no elliot it, elliot is still with us elliot silverstein in fact, oh i'm so happy we just interviewed elliot several episodes back a couple of weeks ago he is still he is 95 96 he is still if you talk to him will you give him my very best i love working with him and he was a adorable guy i've gone sort of to television simply because the writing is better you know than most movies we are living in a golden age of, of television we really are yeah, some amazing yeah. you know i've done um well i did entourage which was a groundbreaking comedy show on hbo of course and then um oh i did uh, various heroes the Mentalist. Yeah. yeah, yeah Quite yeah. a long running yeah, yeah. deal on that. I did. Um, she plays with blood. Mozart in the Jungle, which was a really beautiful show. Yeah, a lovely Very well written. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite, um, 
I loved it. And, um, a, a show like that could could never uh, appear on on network TV. No. It, it it just couldn't have the audience. No. And and the great thing about streaming is that it 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 has allowed us yeah. to tell stories that would never get told otherwise. And it was stunningly done. Yeah, beautiful, brilliant cast. I mean, uh, Gael Garcia Bernal is a very great actor, one of the best I've ever worked with. And a, an amazing guy, and um, all everyone in that with Bernadette. I, in fact, Bernadette and I, um, Bernadette Peters, uh, we're friends, and she's just come out and done a little part in this western that I've just finished. So, I was thrilled with that, and um, also my ex-wife Mary Steenburgen, she did a little bit too. So, it was kind of fun to do with those girls. There, there's still a lot of work on your horizon. You're, you're, you're heading off. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm busy until the end of the year. Great, great, great. I, I, yeah. you know, you're, you are, you, you became an early victim of typecasting. Yes, I did. You are, it, you are. Why? It's taken me a long time. You know, the, typecasting sucks. Yeah, I mean, I understand it. Yeah, you know, I you understand. It's like. They want an insurance policy, you know, and 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 movies are expensive, and mistakes are expensive. But Indeed. I would have thought since I had done Time After Time, which was yeah. a very beautiful film, uh, but it wasn't a hit. So if it's not a hit, it doesn't really count, you know. So it's a shame because you really you 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 made you made a great romantic lead. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, well. You 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 said as we started the interview when you first got into acting and and your the the spark was lit when you were still at school and you got yeah. to do all those plays you you got to act in everything because nobody typecast you you could be whatever they right. whatever they cast you as if yeah. all right yeah. now for for we'll, we'll end on this note we'll we'll go a little blue sky if 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 you could go back in time and you could get to 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 get cast in some of the parts that no one would have thought of you for but you could have killed. Is it, are there a couple of things that, man, you wish you could have had? Because, man, you would have been... Alan, I, to be honest with you, I'm not going to answer that. because, And the answer is no. Because, seriously, if I spent one second of my time thinking about what may have been or what I wanted to do, or um, what a complete waste of energy that would be. And and also would make one envious or let be another element which would be rather seedy. And I don't feel that. I feel incredibly privileged, you know. Um I've just played the lead in a movie at I'm nearly 80, for God's sake. I mean, I, I didn't even think I'm I would have the energy, but in fact I did. Hmm. And um I had no problem at all. I loved it. I was it was pretty physical. In fact, one thing, I was knocked to the ground, senseless by mistake, I have to say, but you know, I sprung up and um so no, I I, I really um I, no I regrets. No regrets. No. Good. No, no. And and honestly, Good. I've done what I've wanted to do. Good. Maybe not what my agents wanted me to do or what I was supposed to do. Yeah. I just did what was right for me. And um, so no regrets at all. I've had an amazing time, really, and worked with the most incredible people and still am. 
Uh, there's a Robert Frost poem that, that that comes to mind. I think of it every day. It's uh, it ends, but uh, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. It's that, a beautiful poem. That's how I think of of me and mine, and and, and that's how I think of yeah. you and yours. Yeah, well, it's a very nice way to end. Yeah, I, uh, I I I wish Gil could have been more more actively in, involved, but uh, I know. But the old Gil. I'm sorry. Is, I can't uh, believe how bad this has been. I I just been. I'm so frustrated. I'm going to call up the the, the local sure. phone company after we get off. Did it just literally? You've been away the whole time, have you? Yeah, it's been in and out. In and yeah, out. yeah. Oh. I have the master. I, I can I can watch him come and go. I yeah. apologize, Malcolm. I really wanted to be part of this and and be in it actively, and I just uh, well, I, you you'll we'll do it again. All right, all right. Are you, leaving, are you leaving? Because tomorrow? really, we didn't scratch the surface. Oh gosh, <laughs> we, exactly right. Hey, we, 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 we kind of focused on 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 two movies as we kind of said we were going to, but we, we didn't. Had, well, I was really glad that we didn't really do too much about clockwork because yeah 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 no 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 we we, we there was there was a certain that was really the setup for for you know yeah we do greatness and then man and then the shit gets pulled out from underneath you and, and yeah what did i do nothing man yeah no uh, so, i mean look um no, i did have a great start you know i had a pretty average middle and now we're going into the golden years baby it's great. I can't even believe it. Indeed, I, I, to, to see you still working. It, it, there's a Yiddish word, kvel. I kvel. Okay. <laughs> and great. on that note, thank you so much for joining us, Malcolm. Thank you, uh, Alan. I, I look forward to, to doing this with you again. Great. Uh, we have so much more ground to cover, and uh, yeah. see, see you next time, everybody. Podcast is executive produced by me, Alan Katz, by Gil Adler, and by Jason Stein. Our artwork was done by the amazing Jody Webster, and Jason Jody, along with Mando, are all the hosts of the fun and informative Dads from the Crypt podcast. Follow them for what my old pal, the Crypt Keeper, would have called terror. Crypt.